Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 29 this morning. We're going to actually bring Hebrews chapter 12 to a conclusion. Next week we'll be in Hebrews chapter 13. We're almost done with this great sermon series. You know, all around us there are warning signs, aren't there? I mean, what does a warning sign do? It tells us that tells us that there are consequences if we do not heed the sign's warning, right? If you you know, there's a speed limit sign. If you don't obey that sign, guess what might happen? You may get a ticket. What happens if you do not obey the beware of dog sign? You may get bit. I came across some pretty funny um, signs, and, and I want us to look at those just briefly. Number one, you can't see. Okay, can you see number two? No? Mike, what happened up there? All right, well, there were warning signs, um, and one of those signs was this sign has sharp edges. Do not touch the edges of that sign. I thought that was a pretty good one. Um, another one says danger. Do not touch. Not only will this kill you, it will hurt the entire time that you are dying. Another one, um, warning, using while stupid can cause serious injury. Um, I thought this was a good one. Do not cross the pasture unless you can do it in nine seconds because the bull can do it in 10. Um, Another one um, says, due to the price of ammo, do not expect a warning shot. Um, One shows a guy that's caught on fire. It says, do not set yourself on fire. The next sign would have said, seriously, do not set yourself on fire. So I don't know where that sign was tied, but I thought it was pretty funny. And then warning, children left unattended will be sold to the circus. Um, good, good, Good words right there. Stephen Cole shared this illustration. In 1986, Texas gym dealer Roy Weinstein was pawning through a Tupperware bowl of cheaply priced rocks at a mineral show in Arizona. And he came across this lavender gray potato-sized stone that looked a bit special. He, he said to the, to the dealer, you want $15 for this? And the guy said, man, that's kind of ugly. Give me 10 and we'll call it done. Weinstein walked away with the world's largest star sapphire, later valued at $2.28 million. Can you imagine having something of such value in your possession and letting it go for such a cheap price? You know, there is great value in what you and I possess as believers, isn't there? We have Jesus And we know that Jesus has us as well. Last week, we looked at what Esau did. Esau did not appreciate the value of his birthright, which entitled him to all of the blessings that God had promised to Abraham. There was the material blessings, but more importantly, there was the spiritual blessings. He would trade it all away. You remember what he traded it away for? Some soup, right? For a bowl of stew. He gave away eternal blessing for instant gratification. The original readers of Hebrews, they were in danger of doing that very same thing, trading away Christ so that they could return back to their old way of living. Under the threat of persecution, they were tempted to abandon Christ for returning 
to their Jewish faith. I've entitled this morning's message, Where Do You Call Home? Is your home in Sinai or is it in Zion? Read with me in beginning in verses, um, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. We're going to break up this passage into two sections this morning based upon our points. But we read beginning in verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearer beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stone. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gatherings, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Here's what I want us to see this morning. There is no future in going back. As we have seen, those within this Hebrew church, they were contemplating going back and returning to their Jewish traditions instead of following after the Lord Jesus Christ. They thought their life could be better without Jesus. Life is not better without Jesus, is it? Life is better with Jesus. Can you imagine living your life independent of Jesus, independent of his church, independent of knowing that you have been gifted the gift of eternal life at the moment of your salvation? Notice our first point this morning. Mount Sinai represents the law. Following 400 years in Egypt under Pharaoh's captivity, under slavery, Moses would lead the people of Israel out of, out of Pharaoh's captivity, across the Red Sea on dry ground to the base of Mount Sinai. It would be there that the Lord would give the people of God the Ten Commandments. He would give the people of God the law. He would enter into a covenant relationship with his people. And if you remember from several weeks ago, this was a conditional covenant, wasn't it? It was conditioned upon them obeying God. It was conditioned upon them obeying God's terms. God said, do this. He said, do not do this. And if the consequences of breaking his law was what? Death, right? Eternal death separated from God. God's relationship with man was very much in the Old Testament, a relationship that was at an arm's length, wasn't it? You didn't have direct access to God like you do today. Notice our first sub-point, it is this. God was untouchable. At Mount Sinai, the Lord would speak to Moses and to the people of God. Reaching back to Exodus chapter 19, verses 10 through 12, we read these words. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and concentrate Consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments. Then be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Out Mount Sinai, the people would witness one of the most terrifying events, and probably that 
that man has ever witnessed in all of human history. They would see that mountain literally turn into a blaze of fire. I remember several years ago I was I was in Ecuador, and um, the last day that on on our mission trip we always kind of set aside for a fun day, a day that we can kind of enjoy the country and the and the and the scenery and different things. And we went to a place called Banos, not bathroom, but it was the name of a city and the name of um, uh, of a of a mountain. And while we were heading up that mountain, we pulled over to the side of the road, and the guide was telling us that it was there on that spot that a major um, 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 volcano, the, the volcano that we were at the base of, had erupted. And he shared with us that, that many people died um, at that spot. And literally, while we that was just kind of a, 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 a glimpse into what a mountain can do. But imagine what the people of God witnessed on this particular day. That mountain that they were at the base of literally turned into a fireball. We are told in Scripture that there was darkness, that there was gloom. The sound of a trumpet was so loud that the people trembled. God's voice was so terrifying that they literally begged that God would speak no longer. In verse 19 we read, And the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. I have no idea what God's voice sounded like. I don't know if, if, if every word that he spoke was, 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 was clear or not, but what we do know is that his voice was so terrifying that the people literally begged for God to speak no longer. In fact, not only did they beg, but we read in verse 21 that Moses um, we, said that, that it was so terrifying that even Moses said, I tremble with fear. Can you imagine living your life knowing that God was unapproachable, knowing that he was untouchable? We see here the next sub-point, it's this. Not only was God untouchable, but he was also unapproachable. On a, only a limited number of people before Christ came and dwelt among us were able to approach God. Several of our heroes of the faith have have had, had divine encounters with God where they heard his voice and were blessed with a vision or maybe an angelic messenger came to them and delivered a word to them. The high priest once a year was able to enter into the most holy places and off, a holy place, the holy of holies, and offer up a sacrifice not only for his own sins but also for the sins of the people. The only two people that would be allowed to go up on Mount Sinai, this blazing fire of a mountain would be Moses and Aaron. Any other person that got close to the mountain and touched the edge of that mountain would be put to death right there on the spot. Again, can you imagine living your life in such fear of God? Not only because of his holiness, but because of your sinfulness and the consequences of your sin. That is how the people of God would live for thousands of years. Clearly, God was seen in the Old Testament pages as a God of power, as a holy God who demanded from his people holiness. Has God changed? Absolutely. God has not changed. He is just as holy today as he was the day that he descended upon Mount Sinai. The difference today 
from then is you and I don't gain our access through a priest any longer. Our access is gained through Jesus Christ who provided for us direct access to God the Father. At the moment that we were saved, at the moment that our sins were forgiven, guess what happened? Our relationship with God was no longer at an arm's length distance. The God of the universe now dwells within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. We read in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 2 through 4, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. God has not changed. But our access to God certainly has changed. Notice the next mountain that, that we're going to study about this morning. It is Mount Zion. Mount Zion represents God's grace. No longer is access to God restricted. No, no, now anyone and everyone that enters into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ can gain access to God the Father, right? Mount Zion, Mount Zion is significant in Scripture. It, it, it refers to three literal places. The first one, um, it is used to describe the city of David, Jerusalem. It is also used to describe the millennial city where Jesus will reign. And it is used to refer to the new Jerusalem, which will be the eternal city of of God. Within this passage of Scripture, the third reference is what we are dealing with this morning. The writer of Hebrews is talking about the eternal city of God, talking about heaven here. David Thompson points out the verb tense, you have come, is perfect tense, which means God is telling every believer that there is a point of time in the past when you came to Mount Zion and you are continually and forever there. The question is, when did we get there and how did we get there? The answer is we got there the moment we believed in Jesus Christ and we are there because of our position in Jesus Christ. Notice the difference between verse 18 and verse 22. In verse 18, it says, you have not come. In verse 22, what does it say? It says, you have come. The difference between living under the old law and the new law, the old covenant and the new covenant, and it's clear here. God was unapproachable in the old, but now he is approachable, isn't he? This is a huge for the believer. It means that God does not see us also at Mount Sinai anymore, but at Zion. How do we get to Zion? We got there via Calvary. Calvary. We got there via the cross, via the blood of Jesus, via Jesus. In, verse, in, 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 in John 14, 6, a passage of Scripture that we all know well, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. There is only one way to God the Father, and that is through God the Son. Notice the characteristics of Mount Zion. The city of God is where we find our citizenship, isn't it? In verse 22, we read, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. At the moment of our salvation, you and I became citizens of heaven, didn't we? Paul wrote these words in Philippians chapter 3, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is, is we're dual citizens in this room, aren't we? Some of you may have more than 
dual citizenship. So we are citizens of the United States of America, but we are also citizens of heaven. And we became a citizen of heaven at the moment of our salvation. Paul also wrote to the church in Ephesus, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Folks, this is not our eternal home, is it? We need to stop living our life as if this is our eternal home. Our eternal home is in the heavenlies. Our eternal home is in Zion. And that is the home that we need to keep our eyes focused upon. We need to keep our eyes fixed upon the Lord Jesus Christ as we looked at in Hebrews chapter 12 in verses 1 and following. We are also told in this passage of Scripture that the city of God is home to angels. In verse 22 we read, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gatherings. Heaven is home to the heavenly host of angels. Even now, this morning, angels are gathered around the throne room of God, and they are declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You and I need to live our lives worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords, just like the angels of heaven are today. The city of God is also home to God's children. In verse 23, we read, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. The city of God is home to the saints of old, isn't it? It is home to the biblical saints of old that we studied about in Hebrews chapter 11 and throughout different parts of Scripture. It is home to Abel and Esau and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Caleb, um, Ray, or to Joshua and Rahab and to countless others, home to Peter and to Paul and to the apostles of hold. It is also home to those saints that have preceded us in death, our family members, those that we have done life with through since we were born. We also know that the city of God is home to the most important person to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In verse 24, we read, And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This right here is what the entire series has been about. This series has been about Jesus. Our, our series theme has been Jesus is better. How Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than Abraham. He is a better priest. And as we looked at in the early days of this sermon series, he is a better sacrifice and provided a better sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice were the priests of old able to do? They were able to provide a sacrifice that provided temporary um, reprieve from our sins. But when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he provided a permanent covering for our sins. No longer is there a yearly sacrifice that is offered up on behalf of our sins. Now, Jesus Christ, he provided the once and for all sacrifice for us. He died for our sins. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, we read, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is a radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Then he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to to angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. 
We serve a righteous, awesome, holy king, don't we? In 1 Timothy 2.5, we read, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, and that man, Jesus Christ. Isaac Watts in 1707 penned an amazing hymn that all of us are familiar with, Marching to Zion. You remember that, that hymn? The, the first stanza goes, Come, we that love the Lord, and let our joys be known. Join in a song with sweet accord, and thus surround the throne. The refrain goes, we're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. Not only are we marching toward that city, but we are citizens of that city because of what Christ did for us and because of us entered into a covenant relationship with him at the moment of our faith. Notice our last point this morning is this, the unshakable kingdom. Begin reading with me in in verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 12. We read, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For they did not escape what they when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This phrase, yet, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence in all, for our God is a consuming fire. There is a dire warning that is given in this passage of Scripture. We read, do not refuse him who is speaking. Every single day, countless number of people die because they refuse to listen to the voice of God. We see here our first subpoint: do not refuse the king of the kingdom. There are extreme consequences to all who refuse to believe in Jesus Christ, isn't there? There are extreme consequences that will come to those that do not confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. There are extreme consequences to those who do not repent of their sins. The consequence is what? It's eternal death, isn't it? In a real place called hell. Jesus described hell as a fiery furnace. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth there is what we are told. We're told in Revelation 14 that extreme torment will occur. We're also told in Revelation chapter 20 that hell is described as a lake of fire. Many people believe that hell is not a real place. Many other people say that a loving God would never send someone to hell. Make no mistake about it. A person is not sent to hell because of a lack of God's love for them. A person goes to hell because they choose not to accept God's great love for them. Next, we see the earthly kingdoms are shakable. The kingdoms of this world, every single one of them will pass away. Many in history's past have passed away, but every earthly kingdom in history's future will come to an end. In Matthew 24, verse 35, we read, heaven and earth will pass away, but Jesus said, my word will not pass away. 
the psalmist declared in, in Psalm 20. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. Who do you trust in this morning? Here's what I will guarantee you of. The governments of this world will fold before God Almighty one day. You and I need to stop placing our trust in Washington, in our presidents, in our politicians, in a political party, in the news channels that we watch. We must trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and place our faith in him because he is where we find our hope, right? Very, very few times do you turn the television on today and find hope in what is being shared. We also must worship the King of heaven. In verse 28, we read, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Let us be grateful for what Jesus has done for us. Let us be grateful for the cross of Calvary. Let us be grateful for the shedding of Jesus' blood and for the covering that it provided for us. Let us be grateful for our salvation. Let us worship as this, um, as this passage calls us to, calls us to acceptable worship. We need to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. We need to learn to stand in awe of God and his majesty. We need to read the Word. We must study the Word. We must hide the Word in our heart. We need to learn to pray the Word and to share the Word because there are people outside the doors of this church that are dying without a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, they are going to spend eternity separated from God in a real place called hell. All of us know people that don't have a relationship with Jesus. Many of you go to school with your friends that do not have a relationship with Jesus. Some of you work with people that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of your family members do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the consequence for them if they die not accepting God's forgiveness, not coming to faith in him, will be eternal separation from God in a real place called hell. In closing this morning, we, we, we're, we're warned in verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. The very same God that brought down fire on Mount Sinai is the very same God that still sits on his throne and rules this morning. What we know is that God hates sin, and we know that the punishment for sin is death. Anyone that stands before the judgment seat of Christ one day in the future, having not been washed in the blood of Jesus, will experience God's wrath and God's judgment. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you know Jesus this morning? Have you come to terms with where your eternal home is? The Bible makes it clear. We're going to one or two places at the moment of our death, heaven or hell. If you were to die today, do you know for absolute certain where you're going to spend eternity? If you do not, 
I want to invite you this morning in just a moment. I'm going to be standing here at the front. If you don't know Jesus this morning, I want to invite you to come and make the greatest decision that you could ever make. That scripture says that in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Have you experienced the covering that comes at the moment of your salvation? If you have not, then I want to invite you this morning to come and and turn your life over to Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. If there's a decision you need to make, I want to invite you to come. Father God, we come before you this morning, Lord Jesus, just recognizing that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, recognizing that it is only through a relationship with you that anybody can gain access to God the Father. Without a relationship with Jesus, then every single person will die an eternal death in a real place called hell. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that if there is someone in this room that does not have a relationship with you, somebody that's going to be in one of our growth group rooms this morning that does not have a relationship with you, someone that's going to be in our last hour or joining us online this morning that does not have a relationship with you, I pray that today they will enter into a relationship with you, that today they will repent of their sins, that today they will confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that today they will not only um, confess, but they will receive the gift of your Holy Spirit that comes at the moment of salvation. Father, move now during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.